Science and Faith. In this week's episode, Pastor Chris Dolson and UW Ecology Professor Richard Lindroth share how they each find peace in what many people see as an inevitable conflict after the music. Welcome to the Upwards Podcast, an initiative of Upper House on the campus of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Through meaningful conversations, we explore the life of the mind and questions of the soul to enrich our university, our community, and the church. Be sure to subscribe and give us a rating on your preferred podcast service and check out our upcoming events at upperhouse.org. Welcome back to Upwards. I'm your host, Dan. Working at Upper House, I've witnessed the challenges many students and faculty face with reconciling their faith in God and the profound questions science can raise for Christians. As a Christian and a historian myself, I've been fortunate to be a part of a church and a university that have a rich history of embracing one another. In this episode, we get to listen in on a conversation between Pastor Chris Dolson, who's made it a point to embrace scientists in his congregation, and UW Professor Richard Lindroth, who's been a committed scientist and Christ follower. They both belong to Blackhawk Church, the same church I attend, and in this episode they talk about the ways Blackhawk has tried to bridge faith and science. Their story and examples may ring true to your experience, or maybe they don't resonate at all. In either case, the tone and spirit of the conversation are models that we can learn from. Chris Dolson is Pastor Emeritus at Blackhawk Church in Madison, where he was previously senior pastor for 27 years. Chris holds a Bachelor of Science in Biology from Indiana State University, which he talks about in this conversation. He's also on the board for the Stephen and Laurel Brown Foundation, which oversees Upper House. Richard Lindroth has been a professor of ecology at the University of Wisconsin for 34 years. Rick has earned many awards and honors for his work, as well as been published in numerous scholarly journals. Rick has been a member of Blackhawk Church since 1985. Finally, this episode is in partnership with Science for the Church. Learn about the work that Science for the Church is doing to pair pastors and scientists, like the example of Chris and Rick, at scienceforthechurch.org. I hope you enjoy this Upwards conversation with Chris Dolson and Rick Lindroth. Hi, my name is Chris Dolson, and I'm one of the pastors at Black Hawk Church in Madison, Wisconsin. I am actually Pastor Emeritus. I was the senior pastor at Blackhawk Church for 27 years. And then in July of 2021, kind of passed on the reins of the senior pastor position to a good friend who's also on staff. And uh, with me is my good friend, Rick Lindroth. Rick, who are you? Hi, I'm Rick. I'm a professor of ecology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. We moved to Madison in 1985. I was initially a postdoc, and within the first week, we started attending Blackhawk Church and then joined the faculty in 1988. So I've been on the faculty for about 34 years. So we are really happy to do this interview for uh, science for the church. It's a great opportunity for us to talk about two things that we're really passionate Mm -hmm. about. Let me tell you a little bit about Blackhawk Church. We're uh, a church that has uh, three uh, different sites in the Madison area. Uh, Post-COVID, our in-person attendance is about 3,000, and we have about 1,000 people who join us uh, online. We are in Madison, Wisconsin, and 
The University of Wisconsin at Madison is here, and we uh, kind of think of ourselves as a university community church. However, we are in a denomination, the Evangelical Free Church of America. And uh, we just say over and over again, we love the city of Madison and we love UW-Madison. So big part of who we are. Absolutely. In fact, uh, when we started attending Black Hawk in 1985, there were fewer than 100 people who attended. So uh, during the time that my wife Nancy and I have lived here, we've seen it through some really substantial changes, including Chris's arrival in the mid-1990s. Right. So a little bit about my background. Uh, I grew up, I say, as a free-range kid in northern Illinois in a rural area. So I spent most of my childhood tromping around in the fields and the streams and the forests. I knew by the age of seven that I wanted to be a biologist, and that's what I became. So uh, undergraduate degree at Iowa State University and then a PhD from the University of Illinois in ecology and then uh, I've had my entire academic career here at the University of Wisconsin. Yeah, Rick is kind of a hero. He's uh, kind of the guy I wanted to be. So I took a different uh, direction in my life. So I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I grew up in a very conservative uh, church. And when I started to go to high school, I was interested in biology classes and, mm-hmm. you know, collecting leaves and put them in you know, folders and butterflies and insects and putting them on the pins and stuff like that. I just ate all of that kind of stuff up. And um, I would take what I was learning from science classes and I would go talk to my friends at church and I got pushback Mm -hmm. from the Mm -hmm. leadership Mm -hmm. of my Sunday school class and my youth group. And they were were very suspicious Mm -hmm. about everything I was learning in my high school biology class. And that just really started to push me away from mm-hmm. Christianity. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Indiana State University in the mid-70s, and I majored in biology and chemistry, and I just completely stopped going to church. I had nothing to do with Christianity. I saw Christianity as being completely anti-science. And then on top of that, I did an internship at the National Institutes of Health in 1976 in Bethesda, Maryland. I actually worked in a lab that was run by a guy named Julius Axelrod. He won the Nobel Prize in Medicine in 1970. And so I was just surrounded by all these high-class scientists. And I, you know, 1976, you know, I was, I knew more about this thing called MHPG. I don't know why I'm thinking. 3-methoxy-4-hydroxyphenylglycol. There you go. Okay. The main metabolite of norepinephrine. And I I was spinning things in test tubes and getting really deep into the sciences and stuff like that. And I just had nothing to do with Christianity, Mm -hmm. wanted nothing to do with it. And then when I went back to the college town that I was from, I met someone who was actually like Rick. He was a committed Christian, and he was also a scientist. He had a PhD in biology from... Penn State. He wasn't a professor. He just was working in a facility in the town Mm -hmm. that I Mm -hmm. went to. But it was this anomaly. This like, how can you, you know, be a scientist? He's kind of the guy I wanted to be and also a committed Christian. Now, just think of this. I was like 21. And that's the first time I'd ever met anyone who was both committed to the Bible 
and committed mm-hmm. to like, mm-hmm. you know, professional mm-hmm. science. It just was strange mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. So that story I think is important for our DNA here at Blackhawk and how we interact with the scientists here because I feel like there's a lot of people like me that go to UW-Madison right. that are right. 18, 19, 20 years old, and they've already decided that science and Christianity right. can't work together. So they have this, they've bought this false dichotomy between science and faith. And so just introducing them to people like Rick and many people like Rick who go to our church, that to me is part of what we're supposed to do as a church. Absolutely. So, uh, and my story is also one of kind of growing up in this um, context or environment of conflict between science and faith as well. So, so stepping back, I grew up going to church. Uh, my family attended church in a mainline uh, Protestant uh, church denomination. It really wasn't part of my personal life, our family life, but we just attended on, on Sundays. Uh, a good moral family, but that was about the, the extent of it. Uh, when I went to college at Iowa State University is when I started taking my faith much more fierce, seriously. And uh, I think that's when God uh, grabbed hold of me in a more significant way. And started personalizing it and started having issues then because I was a biologist biology major with perceived conflicts between science and religion. I don't remember anything from my introductory biology class except one thing, and that is the first day of class, the professor comes in, writes his name on the board, and then proceeds to tell us how, from his perspective, there is no conflict between science and faith. And I was stunned this is the first thing that this guy said. And that's the only thing I remember from an entire semester <laughs> of undergraduate biology, but it really stuck with me because it was like an aha moment yeah. that these things can come together. And then, uh, so I trained as an undergraduate there, went on to graduate school uh, at Illinois and attended a church that was um, very, um, that embraced science very positive attitude towards science. Uh, It was a campus church, kind of like what uh, Blackhawk is, and met regularly with an associate pastor there who helped mentor me through life, through marriage, through family, and through faith conflicts. And really, at that point in time, uh, was able to embrace some of what appeared to be conflicts between science and faith and to resolve them in a way that uh, was intellectually and uh, theologically quite satisfying. So then we came here uh, to, uh, to the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Uh, the first week we pulled out our phone book, that's when phone books still existed, so that'll, that'll <laughs> that age me. Us, yeah, then. oh my gosh, yeah. it was about this time of year, beautiful May day, pulled out the phone book, looked for a church that was nearby. I wanted a church that met on Sunday morning and was committed to, uh, Bible study type life groups and did not meet on Sunday night. <laughs> Sunday morning was enough. Yeah, yeah. And uh, oh, there's this church called Blackhawk that's about four blocks away. Let's try that out. So, and been there ever since. I've served on the leadership board for about 20 of the first 25 years that I uh, attended there and in many other capacities as well. Got to know Chris right away when he came in the mid 90s. Yeah. Uh... We should talk about that 
the, we, uh, the search team put a couple of guys in a car to drive me around, and they were both scientists, uh, you know, one in animal sciences and Rick in biology. And I called my wife up right away because she wasn't on that visit. And I just said, you won't believe this place. So the commitment to science already existed mm -hmm. at the church. It's mm -hmm. not something that I brought. Uh, Rick was already a part. There, was other, there were other scientists. It was a small church. Yeah. But right. there were people in animal sciences right. here in veterinary right. medicine and things uh, like that. So I just, as an encouragement to those of you who are watching who are leading churches, you know, uh, look around. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Or do you have any pharmacists, you know, yeah. in your church? Any dentists or medical doctors or vet veterinarians or anything like that? So they didn't get to where they're at. Mm -hmm. uh, without going through rigorous science classes at some university mm -hmm. in order to get to where they are. So, uh, you know, they might not really wear white smocks all the time and teach and lecture in large right. classrooms, but they're scientists and they're in your church. Do they feel comfortable? Like there right. was already an atmosphere at Blackhawk right. where people like Rick felt like they could be on the search committee or they could do things. They mm -hmm. felt comfortable in the church. And that's not typical uh, from my experience. Now, we have had, you know, the good, the fortune of being in a university community. And so there are lots of science types that come to our church. But as Chris was saying, there are probably science or technology or engineering types in most churches. So, you know, reach out to them, learn about their interests, their training, and see how you might amplify that or highlight that in the context of the church's ministry. I've, Let I've, me just interrupt for a second. Sure. It'll kind of blow people away and you say, can we just have a coffee? And what do you want to talk about? I say, yes. I just want to talk about your job. Like, what do you actually do? Absolutely. People can talk about their job. That doesn't yeah. put people off. That's right. And it's like, wow, I'm, it's surprising that the pastor is interested in what I do as a pharmacist or something like that. That's really great. And especially among scientists, I think that we, we feel uh, a little bit protective and perhaps um, somewhat um, fearful of coming out in the context of a church because not all churches warmly right. em embrace science. And I've, I've been in part or have visited some that I would say are actually more on the hostile or at least indifferent end of the spectrum. And, and I don't feel welcome for who I am as, as a professional. Uh, I've, I've mentioned this to Chris before and, and other settings. I've encountered much more pushback for being a scientist in the context of a Christian church than I have for being a Christian in the context of a scientific community. Oh, wow. And, and that's, you know, that's, say, that's kind of sad, yeah, actually. Repeat that. That's a great. Say that, say that <laughs> so I, I've, I've encountered more pushback, more dismissive attitudes, more hostility being a, a scientist in a world of Christians than being a Christian in the world of science. Wow. wow. So as a pastor, we should know that. Absolutely. So yeah. that helps us to really roll out the red carpet and be a welcoming place to people who are in the scientific community. I think if we can do that, it's really not about programs. Uh, programs are important and what you say is important, but the right. atmosphere and the culture that you build in your church of being a welcoming place to people who have advanced degrees in particular fields that are scientific, uh, science related, that's a, that's a huge 
huge win. I, th- I think you touched on a key word there, and that is culture. Because, you know, we don't necessarily expect to be highlighted on the platform or, you know, whatever. But when you walk into a place, do you feel that it is warm and embracing for who you are as a person? So we could consider this in the context of race, right? Or gender or age or any of the other markers of demographics that people identify by. When you walk into a new environment, do you feel like, hey, they get me, they want me here, they would embrace me. And uh, for those of us who work in areas of, of science or technology that has, have not always meshed well with churches, uh, we're aware of that wherever we go. Right, yeah. So I'm just gonna shift now to a, the a program thing that we do do. So, um, you know, Rick, and I are good friends, and we have other people who love the sciences are good friends. And so back in the late 90s or so, we just started asking questions about what could we do to talk about science and faith and just kind of go right at it. So there's lots of things that you can do on regular programming and Sundays and regular messages, but we decided to have something that people then would self-select to come mm-hmm, to. Mm-hmm. So do something on a Saturday and then, you know, have pizza or something. And so, you know, we didn't provide childcare. So, you know, it was an event and we threw a lot of energy into an event. And then we started this in the late nineties. And then I say about every four or five years, we decided to repeat it. W- was every three to four years because we wanted to capture every cohort of undergraduates that came yeah, that, through the university. That's so right. we did that for a number yeah. of years. Yeah. And so just this just worked for us, and I don't know if this will work for you. So we call them Science and Faith. That's big, the big title. <laughs> and then uh, it was a very simple program. It was usually on Saturdays. And uh, the first thing would be an introduction. I would do an, a little small introduction. I might just tell my story, you know, briefly. And then we always kind of had what we called the Bible talk. And that usually was around Genesis, Mm -hmm. really, Mm -hmm. you know, and just getting into the idea of uh, Genesis, a different kind of literature. And so we, maybe we would invite a speaker to come in from, uh, from Wheaton or another place, or maybe I would do the talk. We'd probably have a good Genesis talk. And then we would have a, kind of a continuum talk about, um, we, we purposely decided not to make it a creation versus evolution. Right. That kind of, that's a false dichotomy actually right there. So we decided to let people know that Christ followers fall in different categories. So you have people who are young earth creationists, and then you have people who are old earth and so we'd usually have people who talk, one person would usually give a talk about, this is what people who hold this view, this is what they hold. An old earth mm-hmm. would hold this, a theistic evolutionist would hold this, and someone who's uh, um, maybe a committed philosophical atheist would hold this. And so we'd give people a spectrum. The whole spectrum. That would be like a 45 minute talk or something. And then we would say, you know, as committed Christ followers, Really, we are opposed to a philosophical atheism, mm-hmm. you know, that dis- discards anything to do with God. That that's really that's really that's the, the enemy. dividing line. That's the right. dividing right. line. Right. 
not people on this side of the line who, and we, we disagree with each other, but the, the, the really the enemy is people who are philosophical atheists who believe God exists and stuff like that. And then that would, that was always what we would do, some <laughs> talk like that. Right. And uh, then we would... And, and if I might interrupt, yeah, yeah. we were always very careful. All of the scientists who were involved in this program were always very careful to not identify where we aligned on the spectrum. Yeah. And you know that the first question in the Q&A at the end of the day was, where do you line up yeah. on the spectrum? Pastor Chris, do you believe in evolution? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, all kinds of things like that. So um, then we would have like little 15-minute TED Talks sometimes with... Um, uh, and I don't, I don't know when a TED started to practice, but now we can just tell people, do a little 15-minute TED, and I know what you're talking about. And so you just go to different people who are in your church. They're, maybe they're an engineer or they're a pharmacist or a dentist or whatever, and you just say, tell us about what you do mm-hmm. and then how your faith has affected what right. you do as a scientist. Or, right. And just let them talk. Mm-hmm. And usually when you invite them, they're just so thrilled to be able to talk to their own church about what, what it is that they actually do for a living. But we also very carefully selected the topical areas, usually on some key societal issue or point of conflict. So yep. we've gone right at uh, environmental climate stewardship change. and climate change. Yep. We've discussed medical ethics, uh, a little bit about, about probably, I, I think, artificial intelligence and technology. So we've gone, gone after. Yep those scientific and technological issues that interface with theology from because of the moral imperatives that are, that are involved. Right. And then we usually had a keynote speaker that we would bring in from the outside. And again, uh, you, you can talk to people uh, that are with Science for the Church or go to BioLogos mm-hmm. and they have a number of speakers and so we would bring in someone like a Jennifer Weissman, who's an astrophysicist. Mm-hmm. She's part of the team that leads Hubble. And then she would be like the keynote speaker. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that I thought we did well with this is that whoever like the big speaker was, during the, like, the pizza lunch, we would have that person in the large room with the middle school students right. and the right. high school students. Yeah. Number one, to say that we valued them, and then obviously we're thinking about the future. So we want them to know that their church is friendly towards science. Right. So as they go right. to all of their iterations, like I did when I, that they don't have this conflict, right. this imaginary right. conflict, because they go, no, I remember back in my church, we had this really big scientist who came and gave a talk once. And so whatever we can do to help those kids have more of a friendly attitude towards science and faith, that's what we do. And I think the the guiding, one of the guiding themes every time we've we've done this event is to diminish the perspective of that there is this conflict between science and faith. Now you you can go to a lot of churches that have a seminar on science and faith and they build the wall they, they say, no, we can't trust them because they're science and we are right. people of faith. And this is how you need to protect your faith against the atheistic scientists. We go right at that and say, no, there, there isn't necessarily right. a wall. Right. There are some perspectives that we need to be aware of and differentiate between. But all truth is God's truth, as, as is yep. said 
commonly, and we go right at the integration and how can we help each other. And it's not only how can people of faith and faith perspectives influence the world of science. Equally for scientists, it's what is it that science can do to enhance the world of faith and, and, and build up and develop churches. And so that reciprocal relationship is something that is difficult to promote and but something I think we, we are consciously trying to take advantage of. Right, and, and then I would say the reason we kept repeating these over the years is because the feedback we yeah. would get from people. I mean, you know, I would talk to people who were the, the person like I was, who was the 21-year-old college student who was having every one of these after seminars, you would run into people like that. And they were just so thankful Right. Thank you for right. moving towards this. And so we really saw this as one of the most effective things that we've probably done as a church in terms of really just bridging a gap mm -hmm. and, and helping people who kind of are staying away from Christianity, feeling like, okay, I can now maybe I can trust you what you say about something else when you use the Bible, mm -hmm. or maybe now I can mm -hmm. trust the Bible. I think my and, uh, kind of unspoken goal in all of those things was really to have people trust the Bible more right. as a result right. of going to that. And they'll think, well, maybe I can actually trust the Bible now. And that was really something that would happen every time. Uh, we would have so they were very successful seminars. I think. Yeah. We've actually had uh, people from various uh, atheist agnostic organizations, names that you would know, who have made a concerted effort to attend these just to check on what are we saying, and come away saying, "Oh wow, that was actually pretty good." <laughs> <laughs> the way you approach that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, so and so actually knows what know they're the talking science. about. And they know their science. Yeah, and, they, yeah. They and they're, they're not they're bashing uh, yeah. us over the head. Right? Yeah, and we would be, and especially with, uh, even within the, the, uh, the, the circles in Christianity where uh, people would think like, well, we would bash, you know, young earth creationists and people like that. And, we try to be very careful about not doing that mm -hmm. and not uh, bashing. Just our tone, I think, uh, is really important because I have a real heart for people who hold to a young earth because they're really f they feel like they're trying to protect the scriptures and things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. They kind of know where mm -hmm. they're coming right. from, so I, I, I understand that. And I guess it's just the tone in which right. we have as we approach it. I think the tone is very important. Rick, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what you do for a living? All right. So as I mentioned, I'm an ecologist. Uh, my position here is actually 80% research and 20% teaching. So I do more research than I do teaching. I train uh, lots of graduate students and postdoctoral students. And I usually have half a dozen undergraduates working in my research group as well. And people are generally somewhat confused about what the science of ecology is. They think it's we're out there trying to protect the trees or uh, save some you know, anomalous insect or something. But ecology is actually a science that, that attempts to understand how does the natural world around us operate. So we're not so fixated on individual organisms as we are on how those organisms interact 
to produce the ecosystems, to produce the benefits for society that we see around us. And so that's what ecologists do. They, they try to understand how all of the various, various components of plants and animals and the earth and the air and water, how do they interact to create the wonders of nature that we see around us. So my particular area has to do with plants and things that feed on plants and chemicals that plants produce to keep from being fed on. Already today, you probably had some caffeine, maybe some other uh, types of Probably not plant. enough caffeine. Probably not enough. These are all compounds that plants have evolved to express to protect themselves from being eaten by insects and other things that like to eat plants. But then, of course, the animals have counter adaptations that allow them to feed on them. And that provides the entire basis of support for all life. So sunshine comes in, gets converted into energy, uh, a food energy by plants, and that sustains all life on Earth. So my research group is interested in what factors influence the chemistry of plants and how does that affect ecosystem functioning, especially in forests. And a big part of our research has been the effects of climate change, enriched atmospheric CO2, warming temperatures, etc. How does that affect ecological interactions, especially in forest ecosystems? So because of that, I've also been um, very careful over the last 10, 15 years to keep abreast of the climate change literature. And as you know, Chris, it's a passion of mine. I speak to public and faith-based groups about climate change and environmental stewardship. I've done that for a number of years. And so I want to talk about just how easily that lends itself mm -hmm. to Christian theology. So we are all image bearers of God, according to Genesis, and God has uh, created everything, and he wants his image bearers to steward and care for his creation. So, so simple. So it's not our world. Right. <laughs> everything belongs to him. So we have a, we, we have a theological perspective on what's happening in the world today, which would re should really cause uh, Christ followers to really move towards. Right. So this right. is, this is we're talking about God's planet here. Right. Oh, wow. Right. What can we do to care for what is going on now that, wow, that's, we're not really caring for his planet. Right. Like we should care for his planet. And so instead of seeing it as something that doesn't fit with Christian theology, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if you see mm -hmm. us as uh, stewards of what God has created, it's his, how can we care for creation? I mean, that's just a natural question. Right. It's the first task that God assigned to humans. Absolutely. Right? Take care of my garden. Yeah, right. and he didn't, he put us, he put us in, his, in his garden. So I, I did a, a talk once from Psalm 104, and I called it God's office. It's, <laughs> right. It's where God, where does God work? Well, he works all around us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they wrote, God wrote two books, you know, the book of nature and the book of, of the Bible, you know, so it's like, this is one of his books. This is where God works. This is his office. So let's walk around his office. I did a talk once where uh, the cameras were outside right. and in my backyard. So I didn't go to a park. I was just in my backyard. 
you know, the bug flew and landed on me. One minute. Oh, this is God's bug, you know, right yeah. there. So uh, it, it, it's just a, it's very simple for us to be able to talk about something that is so uh, technical mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of what you do and how we easily can bridge over to the world in which we are living uh, today. Right. It's, right. it's an easy move, I think, uh, for us. It hasn't always gone well, though, uh, in the context of some of your presentations at, at, at Blackhawk, some of the sermons. So, so Chris yeah. has featured me on the platform a few times, and there have been videos about my work and my interactions that right. have been played a few times. And, and generally, it's well-received. Occasionally, you've gotten a little pushback Absolutely. for being political. For being political. So let's talk about that for a second. So this is a learning, a hard learning for yeah. me in that... Um, our church historically uh, used to use the phrase, we don't want to be political, and I regret using that phrase. Right, right. So what we're really meaning is that we don't want to be partisan. So that's the, that, and I wish we'd have used that phrase a long time ago, because that has come back to haunt me, because they'll, they'll show you the video or something like that. <laughs> hey, a Blackhawk, we're not political. So we want to be political, and, and uh, when I mean that, in the, in the highest sense, that uh, polis is about, people and we want to be about people and people have to make decisions about what they are doing in the world and how we live in the world and things like that. that's political so we don't want to be partisan we don't want to tell people who to vote for and what piece of legislation to vote for mm-hmm. so i think that is the whole thing so when something like a scientific topic comes up mm-hmm. like a creation care or climate change or something like that People tend to see that more as a, a, a an issue that the Democrats, uh, blue states are more, or blue areas are more concerned about. And we just want to push back against that mm-hmm. and say, you know, as Christ followers, right. forget the partisan. We should be concerned about what's going on right. uh, that way. We should be concerned about what's going on in a, in a woman's uh, womb, for example. So that's mm-hmm. not that's not partisan. That's right. just because of we're Christ followers and we care about creation. We care about what's happening to human beings, mm-hmm. no matter mm-hmm. who they are, mm-hmm. where they are. Mm-hmm. And so, so, that, so we've gotten some pushback that way where we, we're saying, no, we're not trying to be partisan here. Right. And we're not trying to lead with that partisan edge. We're leaving with a scientific edge or a, a Christian or theology edge. Right, right. Yeah, that makes no, sense. Yeah, no. yeah, absolutely does. And I, I'll take this just a, a, a little bit further in in, in a different direction. Um, uh, I thought I've been working on developing now for a, a couple of years is is how can we get people more concerned about and engaged in creation care or environmental stewardship, whatever we want to call it. And and I recognize there is a significant disconnect. People will love and care for the things that they are connected to, not the things that they're not connected to. And so a necessary precedent to creation care is what I would say is creation connection, just getting people connected. So one of the fun things that Chris and I have done now for over 20 years is annually we'll take a canoe trip to the Canadian wilderness. And initially it was three guys and our uh, 
daughters. And our daughters, yeah. Uh, did that for a number of years. And then the daughters graduated and moved on. And then we uh, brought in another group of guys. And so there are like three to four of us who do it annually. And then every year we have one or two newbies. Yeah, we, we call try the newbies. bring newbies in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and as we get older, we want the yeah. newbies to be younger and younger. I th I'm, I'm telling you, walking in the wilderness with an ecologist, that's an experience. We just stop every once in a while. I go, Rick, What's, What's that? that? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's bear poop. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there you go. So that's but right. it's an opportunity for us to both be in an environment that we love to be in and embrace it and and kind of show others, demonstrate for others yep. this is this is the world that that functions so that we can live. And I may you know, I may go off on some particular plant or animal or yep. rock or something I see, but that's nothing compared to Chris when he goes off when the stars come out at yep. night. At night, <laughs> yeah, in the middle. Of, yeah, and, and so as a speaker, you know, I would come back, and man, I'm putting photos up of the eagle or, the, you know, the and you just talk. So just letting people know that I love creation mm -hmm. and I love being out there and, hey, go for a walk, you know, go outside. This is God's world. I mean, that really connects with people. But, you know, when you, like, uh, you know, like the other day I talked, I love the stars. And so there's actually one little, uh, with your own eyes, uh, all the stars that we see are in our own galaxy. And uh, however, there's one little fuzzy light that you can see that's actually another galaxy called M31. It's the Andromeda Galaxy. And you look up in a certain place in the night sky and you can see it. You have to have a really dark sky uh, to do this. And so I was talking about the M31 Andromeda galaxy and how big it is and how far it is. And so it's actually 2.8 um, million light years away. Wow. So it's like, just think about that. You're seeing something that the light left there 2.8 million years ago. So it's just mind boggling and then how big the galaxy is. And I always explain this in a message after the message and somebody comes up to me and they're very stern faced and they look at me and say, you know, if the world is 10,000 years old, how can something, you know, 2.8 million years ago, how can that actually, mm -hmm. so that I, right away mm -hmm. I was into mm -hmm. a science conflict mm -hmm. uh, right there. And, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I would say the conversation uh, only went well because the person was confused but trusted me. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. they've been in our church a long time. They're they're con they're more concerned about me and where I'm going in my own mm -hmm. walk with God uh, because I'm not uh, I don't agree with them. But uh, I would say, you know, when I just said, you know, the people who study these kind of things, they're pretty much all on the same page. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and mm -hmm. I don't study it, but people who study it, I, I, I can trust these scientists mm -hmm. who tell us that they have all kinds of reasons for this. And I know that's not where you're coming from, but um, I think there's so many things in your own life where you just, you're trusting science and you probably don't even realize it. And so right. that helped right. them to think a little right. bit. Right. But again, I don't think it was a complete win. Right. It was still right. pushback. But this is an, an area, is an area where the church our church and churches in general can really benefit society. There, within some churches, not necessarily all or, or broadly even, but within some there is inherent 
distrust of science and scientists. And that has massive repercussions for the health of people and the health of a sustainable planet. I mean, look at yep. you know some of the causes yep. behind a worldwide pandemic yep. and, right. and climate change. And in general, Christians as well as others will not believe in science because of an information deficit. They don't want to believe the science because of a trust deficit. Right. They don't know any scientists that they can trust. They don't know any people that they trust who trust scientists. Right. So if, as a church, if you can present science and scientists as normative, as like regular people, and as trustworthy, that can have a big influence on your, congrega on con on your congregation, right. as well as you know, kind of the world at large. Right, and then the other that goes along with that is just if people who are scientists are just in our, we call our small groups, life groups, hmm. if they can just be in those smaller contexts. Right. You know, right. you know I'm a veterinarian or, you know, mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. work in engineering. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden people start to actually learn about, it's really the idea of trusting is so important. And well, I don't believe what he's saying, but I sure do like him. Yeah, you know, exactly. That, right. Yeah. That yeah. is going to help people more than anything else. And really, as a church, you know, are we just gathering around us people who are all alike us? That's mm -hmm. not really what God mm -hmm. wants. Mm -hmm. He mm -hmm. wants the church to be a gathering of people who are different kinds of people who come together under uh, the unity of Christ. And Christ is the one who's drawing us all together. And even though you're different, you might look different, you might believe a little different. Christ is the unifying factor, and I don't trust you, but I like you. Right. How is that right. working right. Right. for yeah. me? Yeah. And churches, uh, church administrations or leaderships, uh, leadership staff can think about how they can configure opportunities to connect people in the congregation with the scientists, with the people with engineering math degrees, the STEM fields. Right. So for example, in, in our church, my wife and I have led a group of young adults for about six or seven years now, a number of them who have been graduate students in science, who are struggling with some of the same issues that I struggled with 30 years ago. And so we've been able to help them through life, or we'll do, we're, my wife and I are involved in this mental marriage mentoring process and oftentimes we'll be connected to a young couple with some type of a science or technology type of background just because they they're struggling with certain issues and we can help them with that so so there are things that the church leadership can do to help kind of configure and and promote these types of interactions yeah i think it's building the culture where we welcome questions here we welcome doubt we welcome pushback uh you know, let's let's all have coffee. Yeah, coffee. Yeah. Eat some donuts together. You know, and learn to like each other. And we have a culture in which we we are like going to love each other through differences. But I think the idea of questions are welcome here. Push back. We're mm -hmm. we're open mm -hmm. to that. Mm -hmm. I think creating that kind of culture really goes a long way to. Um, moving you towards good conversations that you can have mm -hmm. within your church. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. 
We hope you enjoyed this Upwards conversation. Thanks again to Chris, Rick, and Science for the Church. If you want to listen to past episodes on science that were also made in partnership with Science for the Church, check out the show notes. We look forward to continuing the partnership. There are so many interesting areas left to explore around the concepts of science and faith, and we hope you'll join us for them. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and give us a rating on your favorite podcast app. Also, be sure to check out our upcoming events on upperhouse.org. The Upwards podcast is supported by the Stephen and Laurel Brown Foundation. It is produced at Upper House in Madison, Wisconsin. Hosted by Dan Hummel, music by Micah Bear, audio engineering by Jesse Koopman, and graphic design by Madeline Ramsey. Please follow us on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn with the handle at Upper House UW.